0: Hello and welcome to Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Today's episode is part of our Health IT series from the AMA Medical Student Section Committee on Health Information Technology. My name is Christopher Jackson and I am a medical student at the University of Toledo's College of Medicine and I'll be your host for today. Today we're joined by Dr. Sally Baxter, an assistant professor of ophthalmology and biomedical informatics at the University of California, San Diego. Hello and welcome Dr. Baxter.
1: Thank you so much for the introduction, Chris, and thanks for inviting me to be here. I'm so happy to be here speaking with you.
0: Oh, it's great to have you on. Um, so just to get us started, for people who don't know who you are and aren't familiar with your work, how are you involved in health IT and where are you currently working on?
1: Sure. So um, like you said, my name is Sally Baxter. Uh, I am a physician scientist, which means that I do uh, clinical care of patients Um, And my area is comprehensive ophthalmology, but also um, research and operational work in biomedical and clinical informatics. So I I kind of took a little bit of an atypical uh, pathway. And after I finished my clinical residency training in ophthalmology, I went on to do a postdoctoral fellowship in biomedical informatics funded by the National Library of Medicine. And so during that time, I had a training in a wide array of topics in informatics. Um, and really, that was when I had a foundation um, in the field and, and, and was interested in making that part of my future career. And so now I wear many hats, uh, you know, as a faculty member at UCSD. Um, as I said, I'm a practicing clinician and I see patients and I do surgery, but um, on the informatics side... Uh, I have experience in applied clinical informatics and am actually board certified in clinical informatics, which was a path that I didn't uh, know about until I went through my fellowship. But as part of that, I work with our um, informatics medical directors at UCSD on various projects related to our electronic health record system and our uh, uh, clinical information systems in general. Um, so because my background is in ophthalmology, I'm sort of the clinical informatics lead for ophthalmology at UCSD. I work closely with our um, electronic health record analysts, um, with our chief medical information officers and the leadership team um, uh, on the health IT side. And we've done a wide range of sort of implementing um, uh, and going live on electronic health records from previously paper charts. Um, and then looking at, uh, new systems, for example, for reviewing ophthalmology images, um, and looking at ways of leveraging all of the data, uh, that are produced in the, uh, sort of course of routine clinical care and being able to use that, um, for quality improvement projects, as well as for research projects. Uh, and then a large part of my time is, uh, is involved in in doing research around health IT, in particular looking at, um, you know, different aspects of clinical workflows as it relates to health IT and the impacts on uh, physician burnout um, and other outcomes.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Um, You did mention that um, you did quite a bit of work about um, the transition from paper records to EHRs um, in your clinic, Um, and you did quite a few research papers on that. What would you say were the most important things to come out of those papers? And if I were a private practice physician trying to make the shift now, what would you say I should focus on?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think um, that in terms of the transition from paper charts to EHRs, um, there were a lot of lessons learned. Um, Certainly there's both advantages and disadvantages to using EHRs for clinical documentation. The advantage, right, is having um, a, a digital record that can be shared across time and space for different um, doctors and now patients to be able to, to view um, and track the course of their care. I think that's been hugely powerful. Um, the ability to have digital data that can be used for AI and predictive analytics. Um, and, you know, to be able to apply that data, whether that's for population health monitoring, um, to be able to integrate real-time clinical decision support based on uh, that data. Those are all really powerful things. Um, But, you know, in working with uh, physicians as they make that transition, um, we have to realize that it is a difficult process to undergo change. And that especially in fields like ophthalmology, where we're doing a lot of drawings Um, that EHRs are not always well designed for that purpose and that it just takes more time uh, to document in EHRs. Uh, And so that's been well documented um, across all of medicine and also specifically in ophthalmology, that the time required to use these systems um, is greater than what was required on paper. But that being said, I think that the advantages still far outweigh the disadvantages and that we are really, you know, entering a new era of medicine, um, especially with AI and big data, and that electronic health records are a big part of enabling that. Um, for somebody who is looking at the transition now, I would say they're probably, uh, you know, few and far between now that EHRs have been uh, widely adopted. Uh, but I, I I would say, you know, it's, it's good to get um, engaged early on uh, with Your IT vendor, trying to be clear about your needs as a physician and what your workflows look like, and how that might be best served by the EHR system you're working it with, and that's been a key learning point for me is that um, workflows are really uh, key, and that sometimes you know it's not necessarily the mode of documentation um, itself, but rather uh, the interplay between that documentation system as well as you know, the physician and any support staff and the order of doing things, even the space, like where you have things set up in your clinic. um, All of those other elements are really important for efficiency as well. And so um, one of my IT collaborators um, used this analogy, which I really liked, which was, you know, you're learning to dance and you dance when you go from uh, paper to EHRs. Um, But not only you know, you have kind of maybe the same dance partners, right? Your technicians, your MAs, your nurses, um, your residents and fellows, uh, but you're all learning new steps and you're all learning it at the same time, you know, if if no one is sort of expert at it and been using it a long time. And so everyone's learning together and and just be patient with that process and that it takes time. And I think, um, you know, in clinical informatics, we do a lot of uh, training around change management and how to... Manage expectations. Um, try to keep keep you know lines of communication open, and uh, and that's an important process in terms of uh, making a big transition like paper to EHR, um, and just understanding that it's going to take time to get used to a new system and a new way of doing things.
0: Um, and I will note, you said that there aren't many physicians left, but uh, my dad's physician is still using paper charts. Um, so. Yeah, I mean.
1: <laughs> Even, you know, at a, at a um, uh, UCSD, we're a you know, tertiary sort of academic medical center, and our ophthalmology department was uh, using paper charts up until very recently as well. So um, yeah, you're right. I think there are people who are still using paper. I, I think ultimately um, that over the next couple of years, we'll probably see a complete transition to electronic health records, um, you know, with the various federal regulations around sharing information with patients and just with all the new digital health tools that are out there that leverage these data. I think that you know, that transition will be complete in, in the near uh, future.
0: <laughs> While we're on the topic of EHRs, um, one of the things that EHRs are always brought up in is the topic of burnout.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the EHR is one of our favorite things to complain about. Um, But what do we need to change about EHRs to help deal with physician burnout, nurse burnout, all of the medical practitioner burnout that's only worsened over the past couple of years?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, So I'll just start with, you know, kind of what we know about EHRs and burnout. I mean, as I mentioned, one aspect is just the sheer time required, right? It just takes longer um, to document in uh, EHRs than it does on paper. And that's been shown in in many different studies. Um, Part of it too is this idea of cognitive uh, complexity and the fact that people are sort of multitasking a lot um, in EHRs, that there are many different ways to accomplish the same function, um, that there's a lot of copy paste and ability to replicate information. And then what what you get is something called note bloat, where the notes end up getting progressively longer and longer and it's hard to find the you know the information that you really need to distill down to um that's important for your decision making and then i think there's also this idea of um blurred boundaries right so before when we had paper charts you had a chart um you know at your place of work at your clinic and uh and that chart physically was located at that clinic and nowadays with um uh, with electronic charting and the ability to access things from home, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It allows you greater flexibility. Um, but at the same time, it allows work to sort of, you know, bleed into all aspects of your life and it could be weekends or late at night. And, um, you, you're still spending time charting during those hours because you can. Um, so you know, there's a lot of work being done to better understand how we might uh, improve our use of EHRs to combat the uh, combat this epidemic of burnout that we're seeing among healthcare providers. I think some of the things that um, seem very promising to me are, again, maybe not changes in EHR systems themselves, but this idea of um, team-based care, um, care coordination, having. Uh, you know, your support staff being able to prep orders or um, uh, help with some documentation um, or, you know, really allowing each person to fully contribute um, uh, and and having, you know, a lot of practices I've used, uh, advanced practice providers and like nurse practitioners or physician assistants to help out as well. And so this idea of team-based care, I think, is a very powerful one. It involves changing workflows, um, but I think it does uh, is one way to mitigate burnout. Um, the other thing is there's a lot of cool tools on the horizon, like you know, integrating voice dictation um, and 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 using that instead of typing. Trying to improve interfaces so that um, you're not having to navigate across many different windows, but being able to see all the relevant information in one place. Um, our EHR vendor has a way of uh, doing the documentation. So you're really just updating, uh, the assessment and plan and listing out the problems for, uh, you know, the diagnoses that you're seeing for that patient's visit, but not having to replicate all your exam findings in the, um, progress note because it's already been captured in other parts of the chart. And so this idea of not having to copy everything, uh, into the note, but being able to just automatically, um, pulling in some of that data, whether that's using shortcuts or uh, macros or like these different tools for helping uh, with the efficiency of note writing. Um, So that's all an active area of um, research. And uh, one of the cool things about some of the EHR systems is they have what's called audit log data that looks at how long people are spending on certain tasks that can show you, um, you know, how much time was spent on documentation versus on uh, writing orders versus uh, managing the in-basket or the inbox um, of patient messages, and I think there's a there's a whole uh, vibrant area of research around how we might optimize these processes. Um, so a lot of I I'm hopeful that there will be uh, a lot of developments in the near future to help us, you know, reduce the burnout associated with using EHRs.
0: To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. The question that we've all had on our mind for the past two, I don't know how long it's been, how has COVID impacted your work?
1: Yeah, Yeah, so um, obviously COVID has had far-reaching effects into, um, you know, all all segments of society and so many different aspects of our lives. Um, you know, from the standpoint of a, as a practicing clinician, we certainly saw our visit volume um, go down. And then uh, now it's, it's really just a lot of pent up demand. And we're trying to keep up pace with all the patients who want to be seen. But at the same time, I think COVID really opened up um uh, some opportunities around telemedicine, which was not widely adopted um, prior to the pandemic and really saw an explosion in adoption during the pandemic, in part out of necessity um, from the various uh, lockdown restrictions. Um, and and I think some of that change will be here to stay. Um, you know, in, in ophthalmology, we've uh, found ways to do telemedicine visits, both, you know, in terms of synchronous video visits, as well as asynchronous sort of store and forward type, you know, imaging um, interpretation. And one of the things that I worked on um, during the pandemic was uh, setting up a program to screen for diabetic retinopathy uh, using cameras at primary care clinics so that patients with diabetes could get their eyes screened while they're at the primary care doctor instead of having to make a separate trip. Um, to the ophthalmologist, and this increased our screening capacity by quite a bit. Um, I would say the other thing about COVID that has really influenced my work is just the fact that it highlighted um, so many health disparities uh, that predated the pandemic, but maybe didn't receive quite as much attention and and really was highlighted um, during the COVID pandemic. And I've been very lucky to work with uh, the NIH All of Us Research Program, which is a a nationwide uh, research study with a specific emphasis on enrolling patients or enrolling individuals or participants from traditionally underrepresented um, uh, groups. And that's been a great opportunity to uh, better examine health disparities and understand ways that we might be able to improve um and and do better for people of all backgrounds um so for me personally that's been another thing that's come out of covid um and has really influenced a lot of the the research that i have pursued um in the interim from a health it perspective our um university has done a lot around covid um you know directly whether that's setting up mass vaccination clinics um Setting up our entire sort of vaccination and booster infrastructure, testing infrastructure, uh, all of that is so dependent on health IT infrastructure um, and doing uh, you know various builds to make it easy to you know set up um, uh, testing and vaccination at a, a very large scale. Um, so I think you know for. The medical students out there um, listening, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind about how health IT really touches um, so, so much and really underlies so much of what we do in a health system. Um, and so it's a really neat opportunity to make a difference on uh, health outcomes and COVID just being one example. But that was a very clear example of where health IT was critical um, for us to be able to uh, help address the challenges of the pandemic.
0: Um, That's great. And I did want to just highlight the work that you do with the underrepresented minorities. You and I are both a part of those groups, and it's really something that I feel like we're both passionate about. Um, On the whole, how do you see ophthalmologists integrating these new changes into their practices that have been brought on by the pandemic? Um, And what do you think can make the field more receptive to these changes moving forward?
1: Yeah. So for ophthalmology um, specifically, I would say that um there, there is definitely uh, an interest in uh further expanding telemedicine um and like i said there's there's different forms that that takes like uh, including synchronous video visits but also some of this idea of remote patient monitoring and people being able to do monitoring at home um and i think there's a lot of interest in that in in the um ophthalmology community um and it still remains to be seen, you know, how much of it sticks in the sort of post-pandemic era. Um, And concerning the other thing I talked about in terms of health disparities, I think the ophthalmology community has really embraced that. Um, The American Academy of Ophthalmology, which is our national uh, specialty society, has a series of books called the Basic Science and Clinical Series that is sort of the de facto curriculum that every, you know, ophthalmology resident um, and physician who's going up for recertification has to study and read and and know inside and out in order to become board certified in ophthalmology. And this year they added um, an entire section on social determinants of health and health disparities. And there's a lot of work at the national level um, to understand, uh, you know, how we can um, better study health disparities and better tackle health disparities. And one aspect of that was, you know, how do we leverage data? How do we look at, you know, EHRs and um, and other uh, data sources to help us um, with this very important problem? And also, you know, what are some of the digital health technologies um, and, you know, other approaches that we could use to help uh, mitigate these disparities. So certainly something at like the national level um, that is of interest and and has really uh, gained a lot of steam after COVID. Uh, and so I'm really excited to to see that. And it's also something where I think health IT will have a a big um, role in whether whether that's you know helping to uh, analyze and and obtain the data for understanding the problem, and then also in uh informing the potential solutions
0: and we've kind of touched on this a bit um, but how specifically do you think that telemedicine is going to work with ophthalmology like you can't take a slit lamp and look into a camera and look at a patient's eyes so what are the the things that we're going to have to bring to bear to fix these issues with visualization and getting that data sure
1: yeah so I, i think um technology is going to play a huge part uh in that um you know there are uh well, there there are some subspecialties of ophthalmology where you can get a lot of information without uh, a slit exam, and some examples where that's done really well is in uh, you know oculoplastics, as well as neuro ophthalmology. Um, our pediatric ophthalmology and strabismus colleagues have found ways to do parts of the strabismus exam uh, over you know over video over Zoom, and there are mobile apps that you can do um, that actually measure uh, people's eye movements uh, and format them, you know, beautifully and, and more, you know, you can get this photo montage that, uh, looks even better than sometimes what we've done in clinic before. So, um, so certainly there's some specialties where they can do a lot, uh, over just video. Um, but you're right. So much of ophthalmology is dependent on our physical exam and, uh, you know, it's hard to do that, um, over Zoom. And so I think there's going to be a big role for technology uh, for people to be able to do some of that at home. And one area would be um, in terms of imaging. So there's been you know an explosion of different imaging devices that can attach to smartphones, for example, and image your retina and optic nerve. Um, and then you know, there's, there's home-based uh, intraocular pressure or eye pressure monitors that can um, help for glaucoma monitoring, for example. We have a number of uh, imaging devices that are really important for monitoring a variety of diseases, including diabetic retinopathy and macular degeneration called OCT. And while traditionally that's been a um, you know desktop camera that we have in the clinic, um, there are a number of prototypes out there of uh, handheld OCTs or mobile OCTs that are being used in um, uh, you know that could theoretically be used at home or in sort of satellite clinics to improve uh, access to care. So there's a lot of exciting developments. I think um, technology is going to be a big part of that to acquire the data that we need to help manage our patients. Uh, and then certainly from the informatics side, you know, we have to think about how we are going to Uh, integrate that data in all those devices with our electronic health records, our um, PACS, which is, you know, picture archiving and communication systems, which is how we uh, review images, um, and sort of all of our clinical information systems that are currently in practice. So that integration piece is going to be really important.
0: Uh, and I did just want to highlight, I did not know about the, uh, the strabismus thing. If you've seen someone actually do a, a child ophthalmology exam, it's hard to do that in person, let alone um, yeah. <laughs> over the camera with a two-year-old trying to keep their attention. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, there's, um, it's called the Nine Gaze app, and it has, you know, a um, either a light or some kind of target for the person to look at, and they have them follow the target and get their eyes in different gazes, and then it makes a beautiful... Um, photo montage that uh, shows the person's uh, eye movements. So, I thought that was a pretty, uh, pretty neat thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Yeah, I've been in clinic trying to do that, and that is not an easy job to get done. Yeah. <laughs> As a future physician, how do you see the future of health IT in ten to fifteen years when I'm uh, practicing, you know, full fledged ophthalmologist or radiologist or whatever it is I become?
1: Yeah. So I think right now it. It's such an exciting time uh, to be in medical school and learning about um, not only clinical medicine, um, but also, you know, health IT and all of these different technologies. Um, You know, when I was in medical school, I didn't even know the term informatics, I think until like, I don't know, maybe a month before I graduated, (laughs) I took an elective. Um, But it just wasn't at the forefront of our um, curriculum. Back then. And there's so much um, promise and potential uh, for uh, really revolutionizing the way that we um, deliver healthcare and um, in terms of our ability to impact patient outcomes through uh, health IT, through digital health, through AI. Um, And, you know, is there a lot of hype? Yeah, sure, there's a lot of hype. But I think there's also a lot of uh, real. uh, improvement to you know how we're doing um, healthcare as a because of health IT and because of um, the technology infrastructure that we have available now and so as a medical student being able to learn that um, and understand that at an early stage really um, puts you in a great position to then try to lead um, the field in the future you know so I I think um, in many ways informatics and understanding information technology is going to be, I think, a core part of being a physician um, 15, 20 years down the road, if not already. (laughs) So um, so certainly, you know, I think as um, uh, if you're a medical student or a resident or fellow, this is a great time to um, learn about health IT, to get to know, uh, you know, some of the IT teams at your medical school. Um, at your institution, and you know, maybe look into projects and, and how you can, can help. There's so many areas where health IT has made um, a difference, and it always helps to have people who can sort of speak both languages, right? Like understand the IT side and understand the clinical needs, um, and that'll really help, I think, really make a high-impact change on the areas of greatest need. Um, so yeah, I, it's a very exciting time. I just say, you know, keep up your enthusiasm, keep up your interest and, um, and don't be afraid to learn new things. I mean, there's, this field is changing so quickly, um, that I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges is just trying to keep abreast of everything. Um, but don't be intimidated by that. Like it, it is, um, both a challenge and also a really exciting part of it.
0: Finally, do you have any channels where people can connect with you and follow your work?
1: Um, yeah, so I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, Sally Lou Baxter, S-A-L-L-Y-L-I-U-B-A-X-T-E-R. Um, our lab website, which honestly, uh, I'm ashamed to say I don't update as regularly as I should, um, is baxter.ucsd.edu. Um, but, uh, you know, I think probably email is the easiest way to, to get into contact with me, and I'm happy to answer any questions that any listeners out there might have. So um, that's s as in Sally, the number one, Baxter, B-A-X-T-E-R, at health.ucsd.edu.
0: Well, everyone, that's all for today. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your time today, Dr. Baxter. This has been Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Making the Rounds and other great AMA podcasts wherever you listen to yours or visit ama assnorg podcast. Thank you for listening.
1: Thanks so much.